everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats Podcast. We're come rain, shine, or anything in between. We're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Baltazor. And today, welcome to the long-awaited two-year anniversary special, where we are carrying on the tradition of just recruiting the recruit, ranking the recruits from the previous year's football class. And this is honestly one of our favorite episodes to do in the the two years that we've done it. It was the first episode. Trust us. Don't go back and listen. It's not worth listening to. Uh, But last year, it was one of the most fun episodes that we had on the year. And we improved the formula a little bit this year. But despite improving the formula for efficiency, it's still going to be a long one. So I, I really hope that you're ready. You can listen to it in parts because, you know, this is one of those things that actually kind of warrants that if you would. But let's just go ahead and dive straight into the high school class. We will be ranking uh, transfers as well. I will say last year our high school rankings ended up turning out a lot better than our transfer rankings. (laughs) Yeah, especially some of us. Yeah, so some of us, uh, me. But I I, I was talking about me because mine were not good. That is true because I th- I know I had Will Honus up at like three or something like that. Yeah, that ended up being a suboptimal pick. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> at least we both had JV on car last because he literally only lasted a day. He lasted a day and then quit. We, but, we we had something going. But anyway, the the way this is going to work is we have the aggregate rankings, which is just the average of their position between Connor and I going to rank every single recruit one through 23 and then talk about our personal rankings for them as well as the scouting report on them so diving in to the first or in our favorite 2023 football recruit it's not going to be a surprise who it is and that will be number nine quarterback in the nation best recruit in kansas that is avery johnson he was our consensus first overall recruit for the 2023 class. I believe this is the third year in a row that we've had a consensus because last year the consensus was, was Toby O. But like Avery, I, I'll take sort of half the scouting report. I'll, I'll take the, I'll arguably take the, the less interesting of the two because you, you get to talk about his athleticism, but I get to talk about, he's, about what he kind of is as a passer because as a passer Avery you you get the stereotype with plus athletes at quarterback uh not to step on your toes but you get stereotypes that you know they're one read and run or you know they need to extend plays in order to make an impact on the game Avery is not that guy (laughs) he has high school film where he's not just locking in on the first target he can advance and he can advance through the reads to make difficult throws into somewhat tight windows. That's honestly kind of his game because he has such an electric arm as well. So just from the very beginning, you can see he was the number nine quarterback in the nation for a very distinct reason. Even if you take his legs out of the equation, he's still an excellent passer who honestly, as soon as he steps on campus, he is by far the most physically gifted quarterback that K-State has on the roster. And the only challenge to that would be Adrian Lara in terms of pure arm talent. Even then, I think that that's a pretty close competition. But he's, there's, 
there's very little negative to say about Avery Johnson. He's such a highly rated recruit that anyone who says something negative is just splitting hairs because that's just how good you get at the top. But Connor, I, I know you're itching to talk about probably what everyone will, what, what, what will become a lot of people's favorites about Avery. Yeah. Avery Johnson, the, the only way to describe his athleticism is elite. He has enough superlatives that it honestly gets boring at times because there's just not really much wrong with him athletically, if anything. Uh, he's got a 4-5-40, a 37-inch vertical jump, incredibly agile in space. He's a great improviser. Didn't throw a lot of picks in high school either. Um, already putting on a lot of weight as well. Uh, K-State, you can just tell from the pictures of him in high school compared to like the ones that are up on K-State football. He's clearly putting on weight and muscle and he's doing it fast. He's he's just really good. I went out searching for cons, being the hair splitter, and I was able to find really one thing. And is that he's like kind of skinny and we need to see if he can add weight and stay fast? I think the answer is probably yes, but I had to say something. <laughs> I mean, technically, if you're looking for something to to ding him on, it his release isn't very quick and it's not efficient because he dips his arm down before he throws, but that's such a minor thing that literally 95% of quarterbacks do. Yeah. So Avery Johnson, he's, he's obviously number one, uh, far and away. Number one, even there, if you just go and watch his highlights, he's just going to do stuff that you can't do anything, but laugh. You'll, you'll just have to sit there and chuckle, uh, and watch Avery Johnson, just be a better athlete than everyone. I think it's probably going to be tough to keep him off the field at a certain point this year. We saw Oklahoma with Caleb Williams. Uh, they put in some special packages for him as a freshman, uh, even when they had Spencer Rattler. Not out of the realm of possibility to see Avery Johnson get some run packages um, occasionally, maybe get some garbage time. He, he's got so much talent that he does have the potential to pass up Rubley and Lara. I don't know if he will, but he has a potential to do so. I think we might be seeing a long list of ors uh, on the QB depth chart come uh, right before week one. Yeah, that there there's not enough. We want to keep the episode going and kind of keep the pace up. But we if we wanted to, we could talk about Avery for about 40 minutes and why he's so good. But we'll we'll move on to the second place. And there are a few ties on this list. And the first of which happens in second place. And that is a tie for second place between what will be a linebacker, Asa Newsom, and running back Joe Jackson. We'll we'll start with Asa because he's the higher rated in terms of stars of the two. He's the 25th athlete in the nation. He was the fifth best recruit in Iowa. And I, this was one of the biggest recruiting wins that K-State has had in a very, very long time because it was a recruitment that went a very long time. It didn't end early. It wasn't a, a summer before type decision. It was something that carried in to winter. And it was a recruitment that sort of ebbed and flowed as time went on. But nevertheless, K-State ends up getting the special linebacking talent, Mason Newsom. 
the way that I can describe him is if you turned down Toby's athleticism, maybe by two notches, but basically put 15 notches into football savvy and tackling, that's Asa Newsom. Insane athlete who has insane range, insane coverage ability, plays with his hair on fire and a really, really secure tackler. Yeah, he, I think the Toby O comparison is uh, warranted um, because I think that he's Toby O with probably about the same ceiling, but a much, much higher floor than Toby O. He's coming on the campus and he's another guy that I think is so athletic and so talented. We might be seeing him a bit this year. We saw Jake Clifton play a ton last year. Some of that was due to depth issues in the linebacker room. But we might see Asa get some garbage time snaps and preserve his red shirt. We might say he's so athletic, we need him to do something and just throw him on like kick coverage or something like that. Because he is a fantastic track athlete as well. He ran a, a 4.984 uh, 400-meter dash as a junior. And then as a senior, he ran 5.374 and the 400-meter hurdles. So he was he's a fast guy. He's got really good stamina, got really long arms. He's a very natural linebacker. Uh, he's, a, he's a big guy. He's probably going to be an all-Big 12 guy at K-State, I think. He, he's got the natural talent for it. And yeah, like you said, this was a marathon recruitment for K-State. For a long time, you and I weren't really even thinking about Asa Newsom, and nope. it just kind of popped up out of nowhere. Uh, at the very end of the cycle and there was just a shock really to win that battle but that was one of maybe the biggest recruitment battle win uh even though avery did have some really stiff competition with oregon and washington i felt like he was always destined for k-state but asa newsome that was a that was a poll i think yeah no it absolutely was and uh asa has a lot of a lot of good things about his game, but I think the thing that stuck out to me most was that there was times in high school where he was playing the only true off-ball linebacker, and it, that's so insanely difficult to ask a high school guy to do, Like, but he made it work, and he made it work exceptionally well. Oh, and uh, I forgot, um, I we also did a little bit of potential versus instant impact. This is just a, a simple A plus to I think the lowest grade on here is like a, a D or something. But the instant impact of Avery was A minus. The potential of Avery was A plus. The potential of Asa Newsom was A plus, And the instant impact was A minus. Like, that should tell you exactly what you need to know about, about Asa. And honestly, all the top five and six of these guys are. I can hear arguments for for anyone being from two to six Avery's the clear cut number one but I can hear arguments for any of these guys and one guy that I'm going to make the argument on is okay so how this was a tie I had Joe Jackson at two Connor had Asa Newsom at two I had Asa at three Connor had Joe at three and originally I'm sorry Connor I have to expose you for this you had you had Joe Jackson down at seven and I kind of looked at you like you were on one. Um, I've seen so, the light. So I, I guess <laughs> I'll, I'll get, I'll, we'll start with you for the, the second part of the second place tie. What eventually got you to come around on Joe Jackson? 
I think it was just going back and watching his film a second time. And I watched the first three clips. There's just a combination of him sprinting down the sideline, hitting an extra gear, um, him cutting back against the grain perfectly and just going through arm tackles, having another great, uh, great gain. And then like also displaying some power as well. And I was, you see, I was like, he's so fluid in space. He's such a natural runner. Like it, it looks easy for him, honestly. And you can tell that because at the time and times at the goal line, he's so far away from everyone else that he like treats it like a finish line. It's like putting the ball on his arms out. I was like trying to reach his chest across. Like he's like trying to win a race. There's nobody around him. And I, I was just sitting there and I was like, oh, I'm going to have to move this guy. I'm missed. <laughs> So I was like, wow, this guy's really good. How did I not see this the first time? And he's he's really good. The only knock against him is that the competition he faced was like not fantastic. That's not his fault. Like that was originally one of my reasons for it. Uh keeping him lower was his competition wasn't very good. But he can't control who he plays against, and he made everybody look silly, regardless. He's man, he's really, really good. I'm I, I was really, really taken aback by how good Joe Jackson is, but I'll let you talk about him a little bit more. Yeah. So for reference, I did have Joe Jackson's instant uh, ranking as B plus, but his potential was A plus. So by technically, he has the lower floor between him and Asa Newsom. That being said, I, Joe Jackson could very well be one of the premier backs in the Big 12 within a year or two. And I don't say that lightly because I, I know that there are a lot of people who say, oh, that that's hyperbole. No, 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 no. Anyone who says that's hyperbole has not watched Joe Jackson's film. They don't get it. They, all of his highlights are him outrunning people and not just outrunning people, outrunning them by like 10 or 15 yards. And this yep. is after he makes them miss. Like he... And you, you'd think, oh, he's a speed back. He, if he can't outrun people and he won't be able to outrun everyone at the D1 level, like, oh, what, what are you so excited about? He's also has the ability to make people miss in a more traditional sense because his acceleration is lightning quick. He does not take more than one or two steps and he's gone. Straight line speed, gone. He can go on one cut, gone. And despite all of this, his contact balance is really good, too. Like, if you're not going to tackle his cankles, he, you're not tackling him. Like, you have to square him up. And he's so fast, he's so twitchy, that you can't really do it that well. Like the, I'm, I'm so happy you brought up contact balance. I'm sorry to jump over you, you but that was, like, the last thing that really sold me when I watched his film for the second time through. It was one clip in particular that I just didn't catch the first time, I think, because I had not seen it. It was one of the few clips that I watched in our evaluation period that made me audibly laugh because just watching Joe Jackson go against all these guys that are like much larger than him and they're like pushing on him. They're like falling on him and he just is placing his feet perfectly and he just keeps his balance and just keeps going and accelerates crazy fast. I don't know how he slipped under the radar so well for a lot of other schools. Frankly, he slipped under the radar at K-State for a while because everybody was excited about Dylan Edwards. 
And then when he decommitted, people forgot about Joe Jackson. <laughs> it's like, where's our, where did our, where, cause then people got on JRJ train. Uh, but Joe Jackson, I, I like him more than I ever liked JRJ. Me and too. I, yeah. I said this back then. I, I got some flack for it. I'm going to stand by it. I still wouldn't hate him as a slot receiver. Like I, like Joe Jackson has legitimate receiving upside as well. Now I, I know what a lot of people are going to think is like, Oh, he's a, he's a twitchy back with decent speed and receiving upside, but he's slightly taller. So, Oh, like, is, is this deuce? No, stop, <laughs> stop it. No one they're will not. ever be him again. And they are not the same. And they're not the same either. They have different play styles. Joe Jackson's much more speedy. Deuce was much more shifty and also better. And that's no disrespect to Joe Jackson. It's just unfortunate that he, He's being compared to one of the greatest college running backs in history, but <laughs> man, and gosh, he's so good, man. He's so good at just about everything that again, this is another case where I think you will see him sooner rather than later. I very well, I can see a world where we have just have a three headed chimera in the backfield this year of Trayshawn Ward, DJ Giddens and Joe Jackson. I can and- see a world where that happens. I can picture that and even one up it motioning out of play like, diamond pistol or whatever and sending Jackson to the slot. Like, yeah. cause I do agree with you. However, he, uh, he had a lot more receiving highlights as a, uh, as a junior, junior in high school. He did not have many in his senior tape, but I do remember that from his junior tape when he recorded or from when he committed and we reported on it originally mm-hmm. that he was a really good receiver. They just didn't use him like that this year in high school. Frankly, they didn't need to based on how fast he was running. But <laughs> yeah, he's he's fluid. He's heady. He's got great contact balance. He cuts back. Like watching him like cut back against defenders, it, it, it's like watching a hot knife through butter. Yeah, like it, it's so easy for Joe Jackson. And yeah, he he could contribute this year, maybe later in the year because he's a late arrival, but. I mean, technically he's on time. All the spring people are just early. But. Yeah, true. <laughs> true. So that's Joe Jackson. And so the tie for second is Asa and Joe. That means that fourth place goes to, and this was like another consensus fourth place, wide receiver from Arizona, Trey Spivey, have him ranked as a B-plus instant, instant impact guy and an A potential guy. This one was, like, you'll notice a theme for, for this receiver class is that each of the receivers fills a specific role. Each of them has a specific niche that they are exceptional at. Trey Spivey is essentially what happens if you take a half of every single other receiver, put it in a blender, and then say, this is going to be our alpha. And that's Trey Spivey. Now, I, I, you may say, like, oh, it's only half of the other guys. Well, the other guys are just elite at what they do. So you're getting someone who's pretty consistently going to be good at everything right out of the box in Trey Spivey. Plus, and I know Bill Snyder would really enjoy this. Trey Spivey is an absolute bully when he's run blocking the bro. Like he kills people in the running game. Like he wants to run block. Do you know how rare that is for receivers? I had him in my pros. I had him listed as a air quotes, willing run blocker. He's a bully. He's more than willing. I think he enjoys it. He might be a psychopath. (laughs) Maybe a nutcase. Anyway, what what do you have about Trace Bidey? 
One thing that really shocked me about Trace Bivey is even though he's 6'4", 185, he is very agile with the ball in his hands. I was shocked by how well he could move. There were times where it looked like he was evading tacklers in like a phone booth. It it was unbelievable. His short area quickness is excellent. Um, He's got fantastic uh, catch through traffic. He just got great hands in general. He's got great receiver instincts. He knows where to drift. Uh, If there's zone coverage, he's good at plopping himself down in a soft spot, and he's good with scramble drills. If he sees the QB scrambling, he's good at positioning himself where the QB needs him. Of course, he's a great run blocker as well, But he and he also uses his body really good, and he's a good route runner too. He gets that from Jace Brown, I guess, but (laughs) he's definitely the best of the four receivers that were brought in. And that's not a slight to the other receivers. It's just that Trace Bybee is just really, really, really good. I'd love to see him contribute as a true freshman. I don't know if we can expect that because we just don't rotate much at receiver. So we may not see much of him this year, if any. But he's another guy who's got all Big 12 potential all over him. Yeah, I agree. Like, that's. It's hard, like I said, it's hard to find things that Trace Spivey just isn't good at. Like the biggest weakness is on routine catches. He doesn't attack with his hands as much as you'd really like. But despite that, he still probably has the best hands in the class. <laughs> yeah. I and you know, that's that's really all you can say about Trace Spivey is that he's gonna be a really, really good receiver because he's a blend of every skill set that you ideally want a receiver to have. He's a really solid route runner, though that's probably the weakest area of his game. He has really, really good hands. He will run block, and he will try to kill someone while run blocking. And he has decent vertical speed down the sideline to where he can get open deep. Like, he's everything you want in a receiver. Like, he'll probably take a little while to sort of marinate, I suppose, but he has the receiving room where he can do that. Like, he'll he'll contribute next year. That You can put a stamp on that. Yeah. Oh, and also his dad, a uh, former MLB player. True. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that, actually. <laughs> yeah. Junior Spivey. All right. So this is probably going to be the most controversial entry on this list. I'm excited for this one, though. This this is a cons- <laughs> the consensus number five ranking. It is a defensive end. And it's Ryan Davis. It's Ryan Davis over Jordan Allen. And. We, we have our reasons for doing so. Ryan Davis, we have as a B-plus instant impact and an A-minus potential guy. And the way that I would personally describe Ryan Davis, firstly, he's, other than Joe Jackson, he is by far the biggest my guy in, in this class. Connor, yours is, is coming up very, very soon. Um, <laughs> very soon, my friend. But, you know, you look at edge number 112 in the country and you're like, oh, well, well, what can he do? Uh, well, Ryan Davis, he's literally just Nate Matlick again. And I'm talking about today's Nate Matlick. Like, not, not freshman Nate Matlick. I'm talking about junior with multiple years of development. And Ryan Davis just has this amazingly quick set of hands that he knows how to use. He's able to use swipe moves. He's able to use spin moves. He's able to use um, rip moves. And he's 
you're not going to get your, it's very difficult to get your hands on him just because that's how quick he's moving. He also has this really, really good motor. And the, the, the biggest question mark is like, will he be able to win is like that five technique that three, three, five defenses use. Well, considering how my comp for him is literally just fast and Nate Matlick. Yes. Yes, he can. That's why he's number five on this list. Because just out the box, you're getting a really, really solid Big 12 edge rusher with pretty decent upside. I don't think he'll ever be the alpha dog edge rusher. I don't think that's going to be his game. I think he's going to be a consistent second edge rusher that's going to get pretty consistent pressure and that you need to keep an eye on. He's a complementary piece to the true alpha dog edge rusher, just like Nate Matlick is. I love Brian Davis. And I'm glad that we have gone on this Brian Davis journey together because he's somebody whose commitment was kind of out of nowhere. There wasn't a lot of inklings on him and he just committed when we were like, cool. And that was about it. Mm-hmm. But then you go and watch his film and you're like, oh, this is serious. <laughs> he's yeah. He's not just technically ready. He's technically advanced, I think. He's uses his hands better than defensive, maybe some defensive ends on the roster right now. And he's got plenty of strong pass rush moves, especially uh, some spin and rip moves. He's got a really high motor. He's a gifted athlete as well. He's got a great burst off the line. He's got some versatility as well. Uh, he can go hand in dirt or two point. Um, he's complete, he completely exceeded my expectations. Uh, as a prospect i i didn't expect much from him and he caught me by surprise and he's kind of flown under the radar um in the k-state fan base as well but you need to put this guy on your radar immediately and you need to to keep him on your map like he's again i I think this is someone that probably is going to see the field next year i he might be another guy where it's difficult to keep him off the field i especially with how much we want to rotate defensively I, I can see Ryan Davis spending some time out there next year, especially with how far along he is technically. Um, I am really looking forward to seeing how he develops and what happens to Ryan Davis. He's probably my top three favorites, uh, favorite prospects in this class. I'm not including Avery because that's just cheating, but <laughs> I, I really, really like Ryan Davis. And he's he's going to be a fantastic edge rusher, defensive end for K-State. Yeah. I agree. So don't worry. Jordan Allen is literally right behind him. He's the consensus sixth best player in the class. And he, we have him ranked as this is the controversial part. His instant impact is a C plus, but his potential is an A plus. So that requires a little bit of explanation. He's the 42nd edge player in the nation. The fifth best recruit in Kansas, uh, at least according to, uh, 24-7 on three, I think, has him ranked a lot higher because of the Oklahoma offer. But uh, he is everything that you want athletically in an edge rusher. He is one of he's probably pound for pound the strongest guy in this class. And he may be the fastest guy in this class if you adjust it for weight. He is an absolute monster of an athlete. So I would I would genuinely pay to see like a combine just between him and Asa Newsom 
because I think that that would literally just be a clash of the Titans. But why he's below Ryan Davis is because when you get outside of his athleticism, he doesn't have a lot of what you need in a pass rusher in the Big 12 level because he has not developed a true pass rush move set yet. Ryan Davis, you can point to three or four things that he can do right out the box that he's going to be able to pull out in Big 12 games. The only thing you can really say for Jordan Allen is that he's freakishly strong and he'll be able to push the pocket, but will that result in many sacks? And I, I don't I don't want to dump on him because dude is such a monstrous athlete that it almost doesn't matter most of yeah. the time that he doesn't have a plan because his strength, his burst, his reaction time are all insane for an edge rusher. And he's weird, he's disciplined as well. So if he ever goes up against an option team or a team that relies 98% on gimmicks for their offense, not sure who I'd be talking about there, but it, you know, he's going to be that guy, but just right out the box, he needs time to cook. Like, I, I'm not, I'm not ruling it out that we would see him this year just because of how monstrously athletic he is. I'm just saying that he needs a year or two to sort of develop and marinate and get that pass rush plan in a few moves. But if he develops a long arm move and then develops like a ghost move after that, which is just a long arm move, but you rip under it instead of punching, uh, he's instantly probably the second best edge rusher in the big 12. If he develops that, he's that good. Yeah. He again, unbelievable athlete this is probably the most athlete dense case class that i have seen in my memory of actually knowing what recruiting is probably ever <laughs> yeah which i don't know where i'd start that but it was he yeah he pops off the screen as an athlete you just watch him go and run and you're like this guy is a lot better than literally everyone else on the field <laughs> and it's not particularly close but you're also right that he does need a lot of technical work. And I think that he does know that he can get away with it in some non-conference games and maybe in spot snaps during uh, games against better opponents, but he isn't ready to be a consistent edge rusher as things stand. Um, if we remember, if we look back to when Elijah Lee, I know it's a different position, but it, it's somewhat applicable. Um, Elijah Lee played as a true freshman under Bill Snyder, which was very rare. But he played, and most of what he did was kind of like a jet rush package on third down, obvious passing situations. And he was very effective in that way. Um, it would not be out of the realm of possibility to see Jordan Allen get some snaps here and there as like a third down and long specialist to just bring in off the bench and say, all right, Jordan, QB's there, get him. And it would probably work half the time even though he doesn't have a ton of uh, moves yet, just give him one for now, just something that he can do. And he could find some level of effectiveness doing that. And also he played tight end in high school, which just doesn't really seem fair. <laughs> um, I don't know what you do to stop that, but he's got great agility. He's very, very fluid. Um, and then he had Oklahoma, Tennessee and USC offers. So massive recruiting dub for Kansas State. A really high ceiling. Floor right now is not super high, though. 
Yeah. That being said, he very well could be, he could develop into one of like the best edge rushers that K-State's ever seen if he yeah. lives up to his potential. <laughs> yeah, if he reaches his potential, he's a first-round draft pick. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's my view on him. Like if he reaches full potential, he's gonna be a first round pick. Even if he just misses that, he's probably a second round pick. Mm-hmm. Like just by value of his position, edge rusher's super valuable position, and it's just freak athleticism. That's gonna help him a, a lot going forward. Yeah, like exactly. So next up is this isn't a consensus, but seventh place goes to Cam Salas. I had him ranked at eight, Connor at seven, and uh, B minus for for uh, instant impact, B plus for potential. And Cam Salas, a lot of people will probably be surprised that he's the top defensive back on the list. But again, the the other two major defensive backs that are in consideration are they're right behind him. Like the, this group is is very very close at the very top here, but Cam Salas to me is the ball hawking free safety of the group who has really really good zone instincts when he's covering the middle third, and he's probably the fastest of them, which works out because his role will probably be center fielder, and again that, that's my favorite safety archetype, which is why Drake Cheatham was like my number two or three guy last year and then we ended up not playing him at free safety no i'm not bitter about it but (laughs) (laughs) and even despite the fact that he fits the stereotype of the the roaming center fielding safety he's still a really solid well okay tackling needs work he's a missile he is a literal missile he's going to launch himself at the ball carrier everything else be damned so that's where he needs development is tackling but coverage instincts and coverage ability, really good right out the box. I just don't – why doesn't he get an A in potential? Now I have to justify this. Because I kind of think he is sort of shoehorned into that free safety role. I don't trust him in man coverage. And I'm not – it's not an athleticism thing. It's a – I'm not sure if he'll ever develop the instincts for it thing. And maybe that's just me saying – well, I, he's just a really, really good center fielder. Let's just have him do that. But I could be wrong. I've been wrong several times before. Uh, Jacob Parrish still haunts me in my nightmares. So what do you <laughs> what do you think of him, Connor? I love Cam Salas as a prospect. He looks power five ready in his senior tape. Honestly, some of that's just like Texas high school football stuff, I guess. Um, but he's got really great jumps on routes if he positions himself well to when the throw comes out he's ready to jump on it and either lay a massive hit or make a play on the ball um there are even a few times in his high school tape where his instincts i know you're talking about his instincts a lot but his instincts look so good it was like he knew what the play was before the snap like like he knew it was coming and i love that in a safety it looks like he's got really good command of the defense um also he's a willing special teamer which that could help him get on the field early because I think he has, I think he had like a blocked extra point and like a punt return touchdown in his highlight tape. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, another concern I had um, tackling is a bit of an issue. Um, he generally gets them down, but it takes him a while sometimes. And because his form isn't great at times, sometimes he's caught standing up when he's trying to tackle. 
Some of that is just because he plays with his hair on fire and he's got such a high motor that sometimes he is probably just running off pure instinct and maybe hasn't built those like uh, muscle memories on uh, making sure to get low yet because he's been so busy blowing people up and giving people brain damage. But yeah, he's he's been really, really awesome in this film. He's a really natural fluid athlete. I... I would give him higher than a B plus because I do think I actually I, did too. I misread it. I was looking at my list. I uh, I read Kanigel's grades. He, it, his instant impact is C plus. His uh, potential is an A minus for me. Gotcha. But I I love Cam Salas. Non zero chance we see him this year lower than many other positions. We could see him on special teams mostly. I think if we do see much of him. I think he's most likely to redshirt unless there's some injuries, but his film's good enough to where if there are injuries and he has to play, I'm not going to be uncomfortable about it because I th- I think that I think he can really be another great safety at K State. Yeah, I agree. And the reason why I got confused is because the next defensive back is uh, also starts with a K. The eighth, there's actually a tie for eighth place between two defensive backs in Kenigel Thomas and Donovan McIntosh. Uh, for Kenigel Thomas, I had him at seven. Connor had him at 10. And uh, this was the B plus, B minus grade, the DB from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Let me pull up his really quickly. Let me pull up his evaluation here i'm not stalling at all there it is he was the 81st safety in the country 14th best player in oklahoma and his biggest thing is athleticism he probably could have been listed as an athlete probably should have been listed as an athlete because he played receiver as well and he had really really good ball skills and very similar to cam salas he's a very quick trigger safety and he the difference between him and cam for me is that I don't think you have to shoe. I don't think that Kanigel has to be in one place to succeed. I think that Cam, if he's a free safety, he'll be an excellent free safety. Like a, a really, 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 really good free safety. Kanigel, you can play him anywhere and he will be really good at it. He won't be as good at free safety that Cam will be, but he will be solid at every single safety position that you'd ask him to be. But again, his his biggest thing is reaction time. He kind of what you said about Cam Salas, where it's almost like he knew the play. That's exactly what I thought for for uh, Kanigel. Like he will find it and he will light it up. But again, issues tackling. He's better at it because he knows to he has better aim for want of better term (laughs) at, at people's kneecaps. But I do think he's slightly lower potential than Cam Salas, but I think that that's kind of splitting hairs. And I think that the versatility more than makes up for it, which is why I had him at uh, number seven, but the consensus was eight. Yeah. I had Kanajal down at 10 and uh, that was another thing. That was the first thing I picked out about him was uh, versatility. Um, I, in fact, I think, he plays a lot of corner, but I just listed him as a DB. Mm-hmm. Um, I listed Salas. Um, I got more specific with him. I had him as a safety. And Kanigel, I'm a, this guy's a DB. He'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. And he's, because he's a jack of all trades uh, and a defensive backfield, he's another hard hitter. 
Um, he's 5'11", so a little shorter than what we normally go for, but I don't mind because he's really good and he plays larger than he is. And he's a really hard hitter. He's a willing run defender and played good football um, down in Oklahoma and was loved by on three. They gave him an 89. So he's a fringe four star, uh, according to on three and their in-house rankings. But he's got great coverage instincts. And he's uh, he was a camp offer, if I recall correctly. Um, so I, I think the story with him was that he got offered in the middle of some drills um, at K-State camp, and he just committed on the spot. And that was it. So <laughs> glad to have him on board. And uh, maybe we find something for him to do next year. I imagine we probably redshirt him. Um, but especially because he feels like more if I had to aim to a defensive backfield spot to give him, it'd probably be corner. Um, especially just because his uh frame lends itself to being a corner, I think. I'm um, just how he's built, at least in my view. But I uh if he was gonna play corner, this is not the year to try and do that. Nope. <laughs> uh, because we are jam-packed there. But still a great athlete, and even though he's down to 10. This is probably the most stacked class that KSA has had in my lifetime. So being 10th here means like top five. Four, yeah, like yeah. like top five last year, maybe fourth or third, but really like an Nigel. Yep, I agree. Then the second part of the tie for eighth place is another defensive back, and that is Donovan McIntosh. Uh, I had him ranked at ninth. You had him ranked at eighth. Averages out to be the same. And, you know, uh, Donovan McIntosh, really, really solid corner, 45th cornerback in the nation, 14th best recruit in the state of Missouri. Uh, Big thing about him is sometimes you get high school corners who can only play one side of the field, as in left or right. Uh, He's not like that. He's able to play both sides and he's able to play them fluently. The biggest thing with Donovan McIntosh with me is that a, his reaction time in zone coverage, and B, when he's playing man coverage, he understands better than just about any high school corner I've seen how to use the sideline. He will squeeze every route to the sideline if possible. If you try an outside release against him, you're screwed. Sorry, go home. Sit on the bench because you're not getting the ball. But outside of that, I just that's sort of his entire skill set for me is soft squat zone corner who can kill people in the flats and then deep corner who can squeeze people on the sideline. He's really, really, really good at both of those things. I question everything else because despite the fact he's good at squeezing routes, he's not great in press because his technique just isn't that great. He doesn't have the best bump, but you know, despite all that, he's still very highly rated for a reason because he does have plus athleticism, you know, prototypical size at 6'2". I gave him a B for instant impact, B plus for total potential. But yeah, he's he's another salt, like solid, tall, lanky corner who does one thing better than maybe any other uh, any other corner on the roster, and that's squeezing rats to the sideline. Yeah, my view on Donovan... Um, he was the highest rated defensive back that K-State brought in, mm-hmm. although we both had uh, Cam Salas ahead mm-hmm. um, and you had Kanigel ahead as well. Um, I had him just a little bit behind, but Donovan McIntosh, one of the best things about him 
is his uh um his archetype as a player. Um re- he's got long arms, he's six foot two, uh got really great track speed. I don't remember I don't have his exact numbers, but I know that he was near the top of the state in Missouri uh for the two hundred meter. And you can see that on some of his offensive highlights where he just takes a jet sweep and just runs and he's better than everybody. Uh so it's unusual for someone that tall at corner to have, I guess, like that level of speed um, to the point of it being borderline game breaking. Um, he's a willing run defender as well. Um, made a few goal line stops in his highlights as well. Um, but he does have a few setbacks. Um, the biggest one that I noticed was that if, like you said, he's great at using the sideline, but um if a man gets inside, he kind of struggles to keep up with uh, that man over the middle. And uh, I think part of that might be he's wanting to use the sideline so much that he's overlying on it and oversets and a guy gets past him and he's already behind. Um, additionally, like you said, uh, he does whiff at the line occasionally, but he does seem to be willing to be physical at the line. His technique isn't good. But um, he doesn't always connect on it. But when he does, it's effective. But he's got really long arms. He utilizes them well. He's able to, kind of like Julius Brandt, he's able to sneak his arm in where a lot of other corners wouldn't be able to just because he's got long arms. So I like Donovan McIntosh. I'm not saying he's the next Julius Brandt, but I am saying that he could be a really good tall corner, which seems to be something that K-State has really desired. Yep. Now, to round out the top 10 is the biggest, Connor's biggest guy in this class. He adores the tight end from Colorado, and that is Andrew Metzger. I had him exactly at 10. Connor had him at 9. And when Connor's biggest my guy is at 9, that just sort of tells you what this class is. Um, I He's the 62nd, 67th tight end in the country, 12th best player in Colorado. Go ahead, my friend. I know you've you've been waiting for this moment. Andrew Metzger came out of nowhere, similar to Ryan Davis, uh, I think, in that regard. But this was especially out of nowhere because it was late in the cycle and we already had a tight end in a class where we really only needed one. And then out of nowhere, we just flipped this guy from Colorado right after Dion takes the job. And you and I, I, re- I remember this vividly. We were both like, why are we doing that? Why do we need another tight end in this class? Then we watched this film and the answer became very obvious as to why we needed another tight end because his name's Andrew Metzger and he's really, really good. For being 6'5", 235, he is shockingly athletic. He, despite being a tight end, being really tall, and all of that, he's not supposed to move the way that he does. It violates natural law, you could argue. He he has the ability to adjust to a pass and contort his body similar to what a wide receiver might do. He's got great hands. His catch radius is awesome, and he uses all of it. Really good contested catch guy, quality route runner. Um, and he gets his top speed quickly and he stays there. This is like if Gary Oakley, when he committed, was at his frame a bit more filled out 
and was a bit more ready as a pass catcher. Even Garrett Oakley, we really liked on this podcast. We were we were fans of Mr. Oakley. The only stuff you can really knock Metzger for is there's not a lot of film of him as an inline blocker. Um, there, so that leaves some question marks on his run blocking ability. He has some blocking highlights, but a lot of it comes from H back, and he needs several steps to really get to a point to where he can survive a blocking rep. And when he does that, he's fine, but he'll need to strengthen up and uh, become more versatile. Although we did take another tight end that fills the run blocking need a bit better, um, especially um, as he's developed his senior year. But Metzger is a gem, I think. And K-State and Brian LePac are going to have some very fun tight ends to use for the next few years. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I had Andrew Metzger at 10. Basically, everything you said I agree with. Uh, instant impact was B. Potential was A. What kept him from A+, plus? long speed. Like I, I don't think his long speed is great. I don't think it's going to be a liability. He's definitely faster than Ben Sinnott. But he's, like, he's just... Uh, you said it best. He was a very, very pleasant surprise. Because despite him not having the greatest long speed in the world, otherwise his athleticism shouldn't happen. Like that shouldn't be allowed in a human being that large. And his his catch radius is the number one thing that sticks out to me. If it's remotely close, he's catching it. And he can contort his body in such weird ways and to make those catches. And despite all of this, he's a good route runner. Like he legitimately is a just a Y receiver right now. And he could fill that role really, really well. He could step in, play that Y slot tight end that we occasionally ask Ben Sennett to do. He'd, he'd survive. He'd be fine. But yeah, it's it's difficult to really overstate Andrew Metzger and how much of a pleasant surprise he was when he both committed and when we had to put together these, these recruiting rankings. Yeah. Probably don't see him next year, but beyond that, there's a non-zero shot. Ben Sennett is headed to the NFL. If he has a really good year, Um, Metzger could just step onto the field, come out of nowhere and be an all big 12 guy. Yeah. All right, so now that we're out of the top 10, we'll try and go just a touch faster for the rest of these guys to not make this a two-hour and 30-minute episode like the first one. But uh, the number 11 guy is a tie between two players again. That's Andre Davis and Devin Voss. Uh, We'll start with Andre Davis. I had him at 11. Connor had him at 13. And the thing with Andre Davis for me is he is – the most boomer bust guy out of any recruit on this list. He could turn into an all big 12 receiver that legitimately just specializes in mossing people. He could flame out and basically do nothing. And the reason I say that is because his ball skills immediately straight off the whiff, really, really good. Everything else about his game, uh, questionable. His, his long speed is fine. It, it's perfectly fine. And I think it's because one step for him is like four for everyone else because he has such long legs. But he just 
he doesn't know how to play receiver yet. Like he catches the ball, but he's not a true receiver yet. He doesn't understand the nuances of the position yet. He's the guy that I think of the the top the, the top 15, I think he's probably the guy that will take the longest to develop to develop. Because what he has right now is contested catchability, size, all right speed. Yeah. Andre Davis, what I put down for him, um, for everybody, I do a K-State projection and then a draft projection. He's the only person where I put question marks for both of those things because I just don't know what to make of him. He, like you said, he's got fine long speed. His ball skills are really good. His catch radius is pretty good as well at 6'4". Um, but he doesn't really have a route tree, really. He isn't a fantastic route runner. He's just very, very, very raw as a receiver prospect. He's got the potential for it, and he really could be something, but it's really tough to say right now. He is kind of getting in a contested catch situation. He's good at making catches in tight windows and concentration catches, um, but still, he's uh, uh, he's got a long way to go. I like him a lot as a prospect, though, but he's someone that's we're going to have to be patient with. Yeah. And now that we have, by the way, Andre Davis is a C minus in instant impact, A in potential. Now that we've kind of gone through the top 11, we'll take a a real quick break here and get a word in from our sponsors. And welcome back to the show where we're on the number 12 consensus recruit, or I suppose the tie for 11th. And that is the offensive tackle from Florida, Lakeland, Florida. That would be Devin Voss, who I personally have as a C plus potential, A minus, or a C plus instant impact, A minus potential. And he is just a road grader right now. He's a bully of a left tackle who's just going to kill people with plus athleticism and strength. If you listen to the weekly recap for this last this last week, everything that I said about Kyle Rakers applies to Devin Voss like tenfold. Devin Voss is a mean a-hole offensive lineman whose number one goal is to bowl over you. But because he's so inexperienced with the position, he needs a lot of technical work. Guess what Connor Riley is best known for? <laughs> yep. I I really like Devin Voss as a prospect. Um, again, it'll be a while before he contributes. Some of that is because he's got a lot of work to do. Some of that is because the offensive line room is just absolutely stacked right now. So it'll be a bit before we see Devin Voss. But I think he was the best lineman that we took um, in this class. Uh, I think, again, he has the great potential. He played in really good high school ball down in Lakeland in Florida. And I, I, I like what he brings to the table. He's got long arms. He's got a prototypical tackle build um, at 6'5". He'll need to fill in the frame. He's only 270 right now, but that can be done. I have no doubts in the ability of Tremaine Carroll to get that man to like 300 plus. Nor should you. Yep. So Devin Voss uh, just misses my top 10, uh, but like him a lot. Yeah. I had him at 13. You had him at 11. Now we have a three-way tie for 13th place between Jace Brown, Will Ansial, 
and Kitty Obiezor. Uh, we'll start with Jace Brown. I had Jace Brown at 12. You had him at 18. So that that requires a bit of explanation for, for why they're so different. For me, Jace Brown is the anti-Andre Davis. You know what you're getting with Jace Brown. You are getting the best route runner in the class out the box, a very finessey player, and someone who has functional to above average long speed with plus ability to track the ball. He is what he is to me. He's a wide receiver 201, the 199th player in Florida. There's a lot of players in Florida, if you can't tell. But to me, he is what he is. He has a B potential and a B instant impact. He's going to be a really, really, really good route runner. And that's going to be his game. Like him and RJ are going to compete for, for best route running. And while I have to say good job, RJ, it's, it's uh, I'm legally obligated to say that every time I mention him, but it's Jace Brown. That's going to be his game is separation. He's going to be consistently open. He's going to get you that five to 10 yards. He's going to get you that first down. Then he's going to go to the sideline and get high fives from his teammates. That's going to be Jace Brown. And he's going to do that, and I will take that to the bank. He's diet Jarvis Landry in a lot of ways, I guess. Yep. <laughs> and he's faster. He, he's faster. Yeah, he is faster than Jarvis Landry. That that was unfair to Jace. But <laughs> um, I did have him down low, but I don't have many thoughts that are really too dissimilar to you. Um, a lot of it is because that for me that uh, like twelve to like nineteen is like really jam-packed frankly everyone in the top 20 for me is somebody that probably there's a great argument for moving up and that's because this class is just so deep but yeah jace jace brown unbelievable route runner as the very first thing even if you're not a football aficionado or even a casual football fan you can look at him and you can just tell he runs routes really, really good. And he do be running routes. <laughs> uh, he's got he's got good hands as well. He's a little bit um, undersized at the moment. Um, he can't help his height, but you'd like to see him add a few pounds, see if he can retain his uh, athletic abilities um, because he is pretty small right now. He's six foot uh, one sixty. And six foot one sixty. He definitely needs to put on some weight then. Yeah, uh, one sixty. Um, but yeah, he's in my mind, one of the main reasons I put him low is his ceiling. Um, because his ceiling isn't great. There's a lot of guys in this class that have really high ceilings, and Jace Brown just doesn't have a particularly high one. But I can see him being a quality contributor, and if he sticks around, he could probably be a quality starter uh late in his career. Um, but I I don't see all big twelve. In his future, at least not right now. Yeah, he'd have to really, really explode in ways that we did not expect for that to happen, which I would like. Yeah, I would enjoy that, you know. But the second part of the trifecta of the tie for thirteenth place here is Will Ansial, and this was one of my guys. If you would have asked me two months ago, this probably he probably would have cracked top ten for me. Um, I had him at fourteen. You have him at fifteen. And I have B minus uh, instant impact, A minus potential. 
And he's just a really, really tall and athletic tight end, the 57th tight end in the country, 12th player in Kansas, so technically higher rated than Andrew Metzger. Uh, he right now is the contested catch receiver. Go win now. Uh, he has functional speed and a top shelf guy. That's what he is. And he's a good enough blocker as well. And he understands how to block. In many ways, we got the two perfect tight ends to complement one another, where Andrew Metzger can be the more receiving tight end or H back slash wing guy, even wide receiver. And Will Anciao is going to be the better overall inline traditional tight end. But that that makes for some disgusting two tight end sets. That's exactly what I was thinking of when I was evaluating these guys because Anciao didn't take the jump that I hoped he would from his junior to senior year because his open field speed is not great and he kind of looks like a baby draft sometimes running routes. But again, He's a really good contested catch guy, really good at high pointing the ball. In my eyes, he's his career K State should be plus run blocker and red zone specialist. That that should be his career trajectory at K State. And I came to the same conclusion as you with the Metzger Anciao combo. They're both really tall guys, really long arms, and they're both guys in the red zone that you have to account for. So having those two guys on the field at the same time would be a nightmare. Like it would not to the same extent, but it'd be like splitting Charlie Kolar into two pretty good tight ends. <laughs> and it, like having two like six six guys with really long catch radiuses that you have to account for somehow. Well, it's hard enough to account for one person <laughs> like that. That that can turn them into some really nasty weapons. Uh Will Anciao, yeah, still not the best route runner kind of stiff in space. He's not super fluid, but yeah, he developed as a run blocker a lot uh, from his junior to senior year. That was his, his best step forward, I think, but I like him still as a tight end. Yep. Now the third part of the tie is Kitty Obiezor. I had him at 15. You had him at 14 led to the tie here. Uh, this is Full disclosure, this is probably the ranking that has the highest potential of blowing up in my face, a la Jacob Parrish last year. I am at C and some impact B-plus potential. And Kitty Obiezor is just... He's instantly going to fit that Jalen Pickle role to where he's that hybrid defensive lineman that we're going to use. Where he has... The difference is Jalen Pickle, no disrespect, was not the greatest athlete. Kitty is a really, really good athlete. He was D-line, uh, 129, 10th player in Minnesota. And he has a really, really good get-off. Like, his first step, really, really good. Um, just That's sort of where it ends for me. He needs to work on transitioning that into functional power. You can have a good first step. Like, you can be first guy off the ball all you want. If you don't have the power to really back that up, like, yeah, you'll drive them back one or two steps. That's the rep for you. And I, I just don't, I haven't seen him do that yet. But from what we're hearing, this is the, this already is the ranking that is blowing up in my face. If what people are saying is to be believed. Yeah. I came into this ranking and I was planning to put OBAs or down near like the bottom three 
and I kept watching his film and it was one of the more frustrating experiences I've ever had in recruiting coverage because he simply refused to let me have like a wholly negative opinion about him. Yep. I kept watching him and I was just like, man, this he's actually like got a lot of potential. He's very raw, um, especially technically. Um, but he's very versatile. He's got a great, great frame. He's got really good size already. The rumor mill saying he's already added 30 pounds since getting to Manhattan uh, since January, which is nuts. But we saw him play some edge. We saw him play some D-line. We saw him play some nose. He he had a variety of uh, things he could do. And he's got great burst. Like I said, it's a little inconsistent sometimes, uh, which I think might be a conditioning issue that can be fixed. And sometimes he gets caught standing up buddy Wyatt or coach Tui. They're going to take care of that as well. Chitty is a guy who has an enormous ceiling. I think in K-State quietly, I think he has probably like a top five ceiling in this class. The issue is that his floor, we don't even know where it is. Like, yeah, I have him as his either thing was he was injured. Yeah, as junior, he was hurt. But we can also tell that he's athletic because he was an incredible basketball player. Yeah. And even though he's 6'5", 250, he was dunking on dudes like he's really good. Um, He might play question mark, <laughs> but I, I don't really feel confident saying anything about Chidi or <laughs> he's um, my case. A projection for him is low level contributor or all big 12. I it's going to be one of those two unlikely to be in between, honestly. Yeah, but he has really snuck up onto our radar to a lesser extent than Ryan Davis because OBA is all projection and all potential. Brian Davis, we at least have some tangible evidence that he's actually like pretty good. <laughs> OBAs or could be that, but we don't know yet. But he he could really be something. Yeah. All right. Here comes 16th place. This one, this is the one where I kind of drag it down a little bit. It's 16th uh, best is Camden Beebe. It, the consensus that is, I have him at 18th. Connor has him all the way up at 12. Uh, I will explain myself here. Firstly, uh, I have Camden as a C minus instant guy, A minus potential. Uh, Camden BB, for me right now, he has he does one thing and he does it really, really well. He's a road grader. Again, he's a, he's just a bulldog. He's actually just a bulldog. Like, and he just bullies people. Like he is a road grading offensive lineman who is in love with run blocking and will be a really, really good run blocker. Everything else is a question mark to me. And I think a lot of projection about him is based off of his brother and the fact that his brother was really, really good. And that's why his potential is so high. But out of the box, Camden BB is just a really, really good run blocker. Like he doesn't have anything else in his tool belt so far. That's why he's going to be, he'd be a decent enough guard. But I think people need to relax on saying that he will be an instant contributor on the line. I think that that's going, I think that that's excessive. I think that he's not his brother. 
He's not his brother. They're not even the same stylistically, not even close, but that that's why I have him relatively lower. Yeah. So Connor, what, what is your case for, for Camden BB being so high? Hello, Maple. Excuse me, Maple. The, yeah, the first pro I have for Camden uh, is related to Cooper BB. That was the only one I had for about two weeks. And I went through and really analyzed his film. And yeah, he's a mauler. Um, not particularly agile laterally, but if you, he's like an elephant where if he goes in a straight line, he's actually quite quick. But if you want to evade him, you need to zigzag. And he's, he's very strong. He's already huge. He's 6'3, 320. Yeah. Already um, at the time he's getting here. Um, he's really good at using his body to get all of his strength and power and focus it in. Uh, he he's able to leverage that pretty well. He may not always aim in the right spot. He may whiff a few times, but he does know how to utilize a lot of his uh his mass and his strength to do that. Granted, his opposition in high school, if you watch like the players he like went against, like they're all like a third of his size. It's honestly yeah. a little sad. <laughs> but again, he can't help who you play. He he's got the uh yeah, he can't help who you play. And He's got good genes. His dad played at Pitt State. His eldest brother played for Minnesota. Cooper Beebe is about to be probably a first-round draft pick as an interior offensive lineman, which is very hard to do. So he's going to get a year at least, probably just a year, under Cooper Beebe, learning from him. And, yeah, he definitely is lacking in a few areas. Not the best pass rusher right now. He's just not a good lateral mover. Pass protector. Pass protector. Did I say pass rusher? Yeah. Oh, pass protector. And can he play nose tackle? <laughs> speaking of that, Cooper was originally a defensive tackle exactly. recruit. Yeah. And he was not projected well at all. Camden's in the same boat. I don't have a lot of tangible reasons for putting him at 12, but I've decided to not bet against the BB family putting out a quality division one football player. And that's why I'm just putting him at 12 preemptively, even though I can't really justify it based on criteria that I've used for others. Cause for everyone else, it's been a lot of film eval for Canon BB. It's really, he got that dog in them and that's about as far as it goes. And I, I wish the best for him because if he plays great, the BB family will go down in case they legend. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. So the consensus 17th player, actually, it's not a consensus because there's a tie for 17th. It's between Jackson Fulmer and Wesley Fair. I had Jackson Fulmer at 16. You had him at 17. So actually, that is a lie. He is he stands alone in 17th place. And I had Jackson Fulmer as a C instant impact, B minus potential guy. And to me, Fulmer is just really, really good at pulling. So he's going to be a guard. He's not going to be a tackle unless we start running dart, which please don't. <laughs> please, God, don't. Um, Just he's a really, really solid guard who will gel really well with everyone around him. Like he will be best friends with everyone around him because he's not going to leave anyone else on the line out to dry because of how active his eyes are. 
and his ability to down block. Like if, if we start running zone, he's probably going to be one of the better zone blocking guards on the team by virtue of he's quick enough and he knows that he gets a feel for when the guy next to him, okay, guy up is going to move up or it's my time for me to move up to the second level. Um, but really that's, that's Jackson Fulmer to me is the ceiling of a solid guard. Yeah. I feel really similar on Fulmer. Um, I remember loving his film when he committed because it was his first year as an offensive lineman. Yep. And I was like, wow, this is year one. And this is how far he is. Like, I can't wait to see what he does in year two. He didn't quite take the step that I was hoping he would take. But like Ace said, he is unusually agile and quick for an offensive lineman of his size. And again, he's great at transitioning through blocks. He's good at hitting a guy on the first level, taking that for the exact amount of time he needs to, and moving up and moving up as, as he needs to. Very sound in that department. His technique needs a way to has a ways to go. He needs to put on more weight so he can be a good interior guy. He'll be a guard. Um, additionally, um, I, I've caught a lot of his pass reps, his, uh, pass blocking reps. He was tugging a lot on jerseys. And that's something that Connor Riley's going to need to fix because up until that gets fixed, he's borderline unplayable for that reason. And I think that can be fixed once he moves interior because all he's he playing left tackle in high school. That's just not what he's going to be asked to do at um, our level. But he he still has a ways to go technically. Um, but again, another raw prospect, um, another good offensive line guy. But we took a lot of um, kind of similar offensive line prospects this year. Uh, a lot of maulers, a lot of road graders, Fulmer to the least extent, but BB and Voss especially. Um, but I like Fulmer. I think he can be a quality starter for K-State, but I'm not sure what he'll um, do beyond that. Yeah. Uh, number 18 is Wesley Fair. I had him at 19. You had him all the way up at 16. I have him as a C instant impact, B overall uh, uh, potential. And again, he was the number 87 athlete, number 10 player in Kansas. Uh, he's just fine to me. There's not many highlights of him taking true coverage snaps by virtue of him being an athlete. He's kind of, he's kind of last year's Jacob Parrish to where he could play anywhere in the defensive backfield. I'm not going to say he's going to be a kick returner this time. But he's sort of an unknown that we took a flyer on because he's such a good athlete and a kid from Kansas. Yeah, I kind of had a similar view on Wesley and that I think he's going to be a fan favorite uh, because he's not the flashiest guy. Um, But he played a he was like a kind of borderline wildcat quarterback, even though he was like, I think the full time QB That's basically what they used him as. And he took a lot of contact doing that. And he was playing both ways as a free safety. So kind of a classic uh, smaller school uh, Kansas thing. Uh, so I think a lot of KSA fans will like him for that reason. Once he eventually uh, rises through the ranks, um, it's going to be a gradual climb. I think uh, he has a, a bit further to go. And yeah, he doesn't have a lot of um, coverage highlights. He does position himself pretty well 
in deep zone when he's asked to cover deep. Um, but honestly, some of his uh, interceptions were more like returning punts mm-hmm. at times because he was not facing good QBs. But he's very athletic, um, very fluid. He's agile. He's got a he's got, he's a really good athlete right now. But we need to make him into a safety. Yep, I agree. Uh, number 19 is Colin Dunn. I had him at 17. You had him down at 20. And Colin Dunn is a hybrid guy that I just, I he's another, a lot of these guys at the very bottom, I either know exactly what they are and it's just a role player or I have no idea what they are. Colin Dunn, I have, I, I don't know. The best that I can say, he's probably a jack safety who's a solid enough tackler but really needs to work on the coverage aspect of being a true safety. But right now what he is, is he's a tight end eraser in a league that likes flexing tight ends. And that's not how you play a tight end eraser. (laughs) My thing with Colin Dunn, I had him as a linebacker slash safety because I think he's either going to be a Jack, like you said, or a sandbacker. And I think I could see him being a, Sam Backer on passing downs. Yeah. To me, his ceiling as a player is literally just Desmond Purnell right now. They're very similar frames. They both came in as air quote safeties, but his potentially even more likely destination is he might end up just kind of being a guy that doesn't quite have the speed and coverage ability to be a safety but doesn't really put on the weight necessary to be a linebacker and kind of ends up like Wayne Jones where he doesn't really fit in anywhere. But I choose to remain optimistic because we took him fairly early in the cycle. Mm -hmm. So Colin Dunn could really become something, um, but it remains to be seen. He's well-disciplined. He sometimes has great speed. Other times just kind of doesn't, but maybe he played hurt. I'm not really sure. We don't have all the answers here, no. um, but cool I, I think I, I think he could be a Sam. Uh, I think Desmond Purnell is his path to a successful K-State career. Yeah. And, you know, that's a solid enough player. Uh, 20th, we're in the home stretch for the high school. We're probably going to make the transfer rankings a separate episode because this one's running a bit long. Uh, number 20 is Wesley Watson. I had him exactly at 20. Connor, you had him at 19. Uh, Wesley Watson is a deep threat. He's just really fast with solid enough uh, ball tracking ability. That's what he is to me. He's just really, really fast and a designated deep threat. Um, But he does know how to work himself open against zone. He was wide receiver 224 in the country, 259th player in Texas. Good Lord. Um, There's a lot of guys in Texas. There's a lot lot of of good high school football players in Texas. Yeah. Wesley Watson is another case of he is what he is, but I still think he's, he he is going to be pigeonholed into that, that deep threat role. And I, I don't see much past that. He's going to be the home run guy. Like you'll see him once a game, like get a deep ball, go for 50 yards. And then you will not see him again for the rest of the game. I had very similar things that you said in my pro section on Wesley Watson. Uh, he reported a 439.40, which is specific enough that I kind of believe it actually. <laughs> and because most of the time, if it's just like a four point and then single number, I just add a tenth. 
because it's probably being generous, but I think it's a laser time for you. And I believe it because he looks super fast on the field and he's got some pretty solid contested catches. He's good at high pointing, uh, especially for his size. Um, And like you said, that was another thing I noticed was he's good at finding holes in a zone coverage scheme and just kind of sitting in them and waiting for the ball to be delivered to him on a silver platter. But um, sometimes he's a good route runner. Sometimes he's not. Just kind of depends on how he's feeling that day. Um, He doesn't have a lot of variety in his routes. Again, virtue of him being a deep threat. Um, And he's a little slight right now. He needs to fill out his frame. Um, But he's a average floor, fairly low ceiling type of receiver, I think. Um, But again, yeah, like you said, he's a deep threat. That's basically what he is. Yep. Number 21 is a return to consensus because the number 21 player on the board for us is Austin Romaine plus athlete at linebacker. He was a camp offer who had like the best, I think it was three shuttle time at the entire camp. And it was just, it was like an ungodly high number, even for corners. But outside of that, I don't, I don't have anything to say about him. Literally, I have nothing to say about him. For me, he's going to be a run defense specialist linebacker. His ceiling is Nick Allen with probably better uh, like short distance speed. Like He can probably be more athletic than Nick Allen. He can probably shoot gaps better than Nick Allen. Um, he'll probably be bit more sure-handed as a tackler he's intriguing athletically because of that three cone time so i think we're taking a flyer there and just see if coach true can unlock something that maybe isn't present in film but yeah i agree with you he's he's a mike through and through he cannot play anywhere else and he's gonna have to figure it out there um but it remains to be seen yep then the tie for 22nd is Asher Tomaszewski and Jack Fabris. Uh, Asher is the nose tackle from Chicago. I admit, you know, he's a B potential player because he's a nose tackle. We, finally, the foundation gets their wish. They're converting a guard to nose tackle. And nose tackle is inherently going to be a developmental position. And because he straight up just didn't play it in high school, uh, his instant impact rate is negligible. Um, but I do believe in his potential to develop into a pretty all right nose tackle, you know, as good as most nose tackles can be. We are really, really lucky that we went back to back years of Timmy Horn and Eli Huggins, uh, and now Uso. <laughs> yeah. Um, Asher, unusually good lateral movement from the very, very little film that's available on him right now. He used to have some huddle tape. It's no longer it. accessible. Yeah. And um, so there's basically you have the clips from his uh, letter of intent announcement from case to eight, which is like five clips. Yep. And that's it. That is the only information that you get on Asher Tomaszewski. So he could be good because he's got pretty solid agility and he moves double teams pretty well. But we just kind of don't know anything about him. So it's pretty tough to that's why I put him in last because I just. I can't draw any conclusions because there's barely any film. Like I can't justify putting him much higher. Yeah. And then uh, Jack Fabris, I have him as literal special teams. God, like he's, 
going to play on every single special teams unit. He's going to be proficient in every single one of them. Uh, his ability to play on a more traditional defense, I think that'll come much later in his career. But there's not his value as a special teamer cannot be underrated. It's just really unfortunate that we rate mostly based off of what they can do on each respective offensive or defensive side of the ball. If we were ranking special teams, by God, you know, Jack Fabris would be number one. (laughs) Yeah, I like Jack. Honestly, I liked him more from his film than I expected to. I... No offense, I expected absolutely nothing from his film. Yeah. I I really didn't think we'd see anything, but he'll, he's going to be a special teams demon. And I think eventually he's going to have the Ross Elder career arc where he's just going to be a special teams guy and a bit of a frustrating rotation guy for a bit. And then like the last half of his redshirt senior year, he's just going to gonna become really good out of nowhere and have like 11 tackles against Baylor <laughs> and just be a really good football player. Um, but I think we can expect a really good culture guy, um, really good special teams guy. His dad was once um, defensive ends coach, uh, I think in Bill Snyder's last year here at K-State. So that's the connection there. But not a bad player. Um, just not going to see much of him, I think, except for special teams. Yep, I agree. So, yeah, that is the ranking of every single high school commit for the K-State class. Had a little bit of everything here. You had your your blue chip guy in Avery Johnson. You had the, the deeper sleepers in uh, in Ryan Davis and just about everything in between. But tune into the, the next episode, which probably will be releasing on the same day. Just want to separate it so this one isn't two hours and 30 minutes and people go, no, <laughs> just <laughs> just looking at no. And so I hope to see you there next time. But for now, thank you for listening to this episode of the Aggie Boat Alley Cats podcast. If you want to follow our contact show, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Aggieville Cats. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C and cats. If you want to email us, we're AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I am at ASC Edwards 00. I am at Connor Balthazor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, maybe wait a few weeks on uh on buying merch just yeah, just, uh, just wait a little bit for no reason at all and just just wait it just wait a few weeks but yeah. thank you for listening to this episode of the aggieville alley cats podcast we're come rain shine or anything in between we're here to deliver to you the kansas state sporting news that you so love stay safe alley cats <laughs>